0: Every tzaddik excels in, uh, in many different areas of morality, of ethics, of godliness. All of them, any tzaddik, must excel by definition, must excel in his love for his fellow Jew. But even among tzaddikim, Rabbi Yitzchak of Bardichev, the Bardichev Rebbe, stood apart, above, in his brilliance, in his genius, when it came to loving a fellow Jew. In fact, mentioning his name anywhere at any time is a source of blessing, brings blessing to Jewish people, because his name is so associated with the defense and the protection of Jewish people, in that the Bardichever made popular and famous the art of arguing with God on behalf of the Jewish people. The Baal Shem Tov actually introduced the idea on one occasion where he was traveling dressed as a simple man and he came to a village where the people had been suffering from a drought. The plants were not growing, the gardens were not growing, the fields were barren and uh... it was it was becoming quite uh, quite serious the people were very depressed were very upset they decreed a fast day they got together in the synagogue and uh... they said the psalms with more feeling than usual and so on the Baal Shem was deeply touched by the sincerity and uh, and the plight of these of these villagers And so he called other hidden mystics um, to come to the village, and together they prevailed on God that the rains should come. The rains came, the people were thrilled, and um, declared the next Shabbos a Shabbos of thanksgiving. The women baked special kugels for Shabbos. They lit extra candles in the synagogue. Uh, They were going to recite the entire Tehillim, the entire Psalms, this time out of thanksgiving rather than out of uh, supplication. And it was going to be a very special Shabbos in which the people were going to tell their children about God's kindness and the miracle that the rain's coming coming just in time and saving the crops from total disaster. To make their joy even greater, a visitor arrived in the village, a traveling magid, a traveling preacher. These were scholars who traveled from town to town, from village to village, and gave guests uh, lectures or sermons uh, in which they used some very strong and harsh, uh, critical, condemning, threatening, uh, expressions and 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 uh, ideas to move the people to repentance and to move the people to be good and to put the fear of god in them they were very talented orators and uh, moved the people very deeply with their with their sermons but it was very harsh it was very critical they would uh they would dwell on the wrongdoings, on the sinfulness of the people. Then they would go into the punishment, into the disasters that will come as a result of sin, and how uh, families will be devastated and children will remain orphans. I mean, they just go on and on, pulling all the heartstrings to move the people to repentance. Well, such a scholar arrived in this town, and the simple, sincere, pious people of the village th- considered this another gift, another blessing for, from God to make their Shabbos even more special. And so it was arranged that this scholar would be speaking at the large synagogue, everyone would attend, and it would make the Shabbos even more joyful. At the talk, when everybody had assembled, the Magid began his tirade. The people were, were shocked they listened respectfully. Took everything he said seriously. Soon they were they were beginning to cry. People were beginning to 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 sob out loud over their sins and over their shortcomings and so on. The Baal Shem Tov, standing in the back couldn't tolerate the um, the pain that this was causing the people, and he stood up on a chair and he said to the preacher, he said Rabbi. Why do you chastise the people? Why don't you chastise God for making life so difficult for the people? They work so hard in the fields six days a week and yet they're careful never to miss a prayer not in the morning, not in the afternoon, not in the evening they try their best to raise their children and to teach them Judaism and they serve God with all their heart to the best of their ability Why do you chastise them? Ask God to make their life easier And then they will be Even better than they are now And the people responded very strongly to that And they said, that's right That's right, we are trying our best We are And so the, the lecture was, was Ended and they went back to Rejoicing and to being grateful And thankful to God for His blessings This was the Baal Shem approach The a Rebbe Disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, um, of the Baal Shem Tov's successor, actually excelled in this field. He would always argue with God in favor of the Jewish people. Um, before Pesach, one time, he asked that the, that the people run out into the village and gather some silk uh, scarves that were illegal contraband Uh, that had to be smuggled into the country um, and a a few loaves of bread and being that it was a few hours before Pesach the Chesedim ran and searched everywhere and they found seven scarves but they could find no bread so the the Barditcher turned to God and said you see the czar has soldiers, he has an army, he has policemen, he has guards, he has border patrol, and he makes a law and says that you're not allowed to bring silk scarves into the country. And yet, within an hour, we found seven silk scarves. You, God, have no police, no army, no soldiers, no border patrols. You said no bread, and nowhere in Bradichev can bread be found. So how can you not... Be good to these people who are so good to you. This was his custom. There was one man in the city of Bradichev, if you can call it a city, who was was known to be a very stingy person. Charity, tzedakah, of course, is a very big mitzvah. Everyone would always participate. Uh, No need would ever go unanswered. Even though the people were not rich at all and had their own needs, yet everybody gave, even the poor gave tzedakah. But there was this one man who was known to be very stingy who gave no tzedakah. When he died, this poor man, uh, this rich man, when he died, uh, the the Bardichever announced that he would be attending the funeral, which is very unusual a great honor to anyone if the Rebbe personally attended the funeral and here the Rebbe announced that he would be attending the funeral of this wealthy but stingy man. When they asked him the reason the Barditchever simply said it's because he had come before me three times for three court cases and he won each one of them civil suits and he won each one of them which was a mysterious answer because winning a court case a civil a civil case in front of the rabbi who served as the judge doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily make you a tzaddik and deserving of great honor but when they found out what these three cases were they understood why he deserved this kind of honor case number 1 it was a uh, market day in town and all the farmers and all the villagers from the surrounding area had come into Badychev to buy and sell and do their business for the year uh, one man who had gathered a lot of money from his customers to buy some supplies suddenly uh, noticed or realized that he had lost the money, a large sum of money and uh, not even his own. He became hysterical and began to faint from, from the anxiety, from the uh, stress of having lost the money. He was revived, but uh, as soon as he remembered that he had lost the money, he, he fainted again. This uh, wealthy man, the miser, saw the commotion, went over to find out what was going on, and then inquired as to how much the man had lost. What was the amount of money? And uh, they told him it was 400 rubles, which was a lot of money in those days. The man went home, put 399 ruble into a wallet came back to the marketplace and announced out loud that he had the money and he was returning it and it was 399 rubles because he had already spent one and had put it into his own wallet the man didn't question it too much he was so grateful to have his money back that he accepted the money and went on with his business in the crowd among the people standing there watching this whole thing was the man who had stolen the money the 400 rubles and his conscience really bothered him I mean here a total stranger walked in and handed the guy the money as if he had stolen it when in fact this man knew that he was the crook he made his way to this man's house to the wealthy man's house told him the whole story and said, here are the 400 rubles. I owe it to you. Well, the miser said, I don't know you. You don't owe me anything. I don't want your money. I was in the marketplace. There was a Jew in trouble. I helped him out. That's my mitzvah, and you can't buy it from me. They argued, and they went to court. The miser won the case. He didn't have to accept the money. Case number 2. Man comes to the to the miser and he says I need to start a little business to support my family. I need 300 rubles to start my business. The man the wealthy man says well that's fine but what guarantor do you have? Who will sign for you since you have no money of your own? so the man smiled and under the circumstances of course it was it was a rhetorical question the man smiled and said what can I tell you God will be my guarantor the wealthy man the miser said that's acceptable that's fine and they laughed and they signed the contract and he gave him the money uh, for ninety days at the end of ninety days the man shows up and he wants to repay the loan and the wealthy man says i'm sorry but your guarantor already paid it And he said what are you talking about i had no guarantor he says yes you did remember you said god would be your guarantor well the ninety days were up today and when you didn't show up this morning i figured the guarantor would pay and he did because during these ninety days i made a lot more money than I usually make so it's been paid the man said don't be silly this is the money I want to pay you it's a mitzvah to pay a loan he said well I have you have your mitzvah I have mine they went to court and the miser won again he was not obligated to take the money the third case was the most interesting there was a man having a very difficult time making a living. Everything he tried failed. And he had a terrible reputation, financial reputation, as a loser in town. And he, and he decided that the only way he would ever amount to anything is if he would go to some other place where he's not known, where his reputation won't follow him, and start fresh. But here, he had no chance. Now, his wife was very upset very distressed by this whole thing and also didn't trust him very much anymore and he knew that if he told her that he was going out of town to uh, to start a new, a new venture a new business she would simply laugh at him so he devised a scheme he says to his wife I have been hired by this wealthy man the miser to run his business in another town I'll be going there I'll be there for a half a year and uh, in the meantime he'll be paying me a salary that you can collect whenever whenever you want of course he had made this all up but he had to find some excuse to uh, to leave the house gracefully and so he packed his bags and he left and he figured when I get back and I'm successful all will be forgiven. A Half a year goes by, and he is quite successful. Made a little fortune, and he's coming back. And he's really worried as to what he's going to find at home. He didn't know it, but the first week after he had left, his wife got into line with the other workers at the factory that this wealthy man, the miser, owned. She got into line to collect her wages, her husband's wages. When she came to the cashier and gave her name, the cashier couldn't find the name on any list. Well, she thought that this was really uh, unethical to send, a, to send a man away out of town to work for you and then not pay the wife who needs the money for the children at home and so on. So she started making quite a scene accusing them of being crooks and of uh, destroying the family and of harming the children who are going to go hungry. The wealthy man, the owner of the factory, heard the commotion and he came down and asked what was going on. And the cashier says, this woman says that, that she's on the payroll, but I can't find her name anywhere. Thinking quickly, the man said, oh, that's my mistake, I'm sorry, I forgot to put him on the list. Put his name on the list, and now every week you'll give her the salary with, along with everybody else. And so it was for a half a year, every week she came and she got her money and uh, and lived quite quite comfortably on that salary. Anyway, the man comes home at the end of the half a year, and he is very surprised to see that the children look well, the house looks, looks uh, well stocked, there's... There's firewood in the, uh, in the bin and there's food in the cupboards and the children are nicely dressed and everybody is happy to see him home. Slowly he puts together the pieces and he realizes what had happened. He shows up the next day in the, at the office of this man, the wealthy man, the miser. And he says, I'm really, I'm really grateful for what you did for my family and how you gave them the money and so on. I uh, sat down and I figured out how much I owe you for the uh, six months of salary. Here is your money. I was quite successful. I can afford to pay. The wealthy man again said, I don't know you. I never made any deal with you. I don't know why you're giving me money. A woman came for help and I helped her and that's my mitzvah and I don't I don't accept any money from you. Well, they argued and argued until they came to court to the baraditchiver. And once again, the wealthy man won the case. He was not obligated to accept the money. Now the people understood why the bradychevar personally attended the funeral of this man. He not only gave tzedakah, he not only was generous, but he was generous in such a way that no one would know, no one would realize, no one would have, would have known. Had, uh, had the Bhadichivar not attended the funeral. So it was a very discreet, anonymous way of giving charity. It was charity done in the most honest, in the most sincere fashion, seeing a problem, wanting to help, not even considering it an act of charity, not even considering it an act of generosity or of kindness but simply doing what needs to be done, a mitzvah at hand, performed, fulfilled, nobody's business, um, nobody else's affair. Such were the people in uh, in the village of, of Bradichev and in Jewish life in general in those days. The level of scholarship among the masses was not very great but the sincerity the honesty the the no-nonsense devotion to every mitzvah and to all mitzvahs was exceptional what was lacking was a method what was lacking was a system how do you trans uh, transmit such devotion such Clarity of vision, how do you transmit it to the next generation? It can't simply be left to to instinct. It can't simply be left to um, to be passed on um, genetically from, from parents to children. There had to be a method. There had to be a system of schooling, a system of teaching, a system of thought. That can, that can guarantee as much as anything can be guaranteed in human behavior that can guarantee that the next generation will continue to have these feelings, to have this kind of devotion to have this kind of commitment and for this it was necessary to introduce a system of Chabad a structured orderly and uh, creative approach to the philosophy, to the theology, to the understanding of mitzvahs, the understanding of God and the understanding of a Jewish soul so that we can be in control to some degree. We can take responsibility for the, for the morality, for the goodness, for the godly feelings, and for the godly understanding of the next generation that these things can actually be cultivated. They can actually be um, nourished, nurtured in people so that it's not it's not left to chance that the next generation, the children of these exceptional people will see their way clearly to continuing in the same path. And this, in spite of the fact that in these last decades, uh, we've gone through so many upheavals, so many changes in society, in philosophy, in politics, in uh, in religion. And each one of these upheavals, of course, uh, disrupted the traditional life of all communities and of uh, of all people. What kept the Jewish community, what kept the Jews strong and devoted and focused in spite of all these upheavals? It couldn't be just the sincere goodwill or the sincere intentions. It had to be the result of a thorough education, of a deep understanding and appreciation that can be discussed, that can be explained, that can be told around the table from parent to child, from teacher to student, a subject that is uh, thorough and that is logical and that is uh, convincing, that even children in the street can be discussing it, debating it on their way to school, on their way home from school. It was no longer this elusive, tenuous uh, instinct or feeling of the heart which you either had or didn't have. It was now something you could develop, something you can work at, something you can think about when you're alone, and some something that will motivate you, beginning with the mind and, and uh, influencing the heart so that what you think, what you know, what you understand and what you believe becomes for the heart material, substance for inspiration, for devotion, for excitement, for love and even for pleasure. And that was the uh, the innovation of the Alta Rebbe who wrote the Tanya, who introduced the Chabad system of learning and of understanding, who revealed for us an aspect of Torah that we didn't see or appreciate previously other than in glimpses um, if you were sensitive and if you were and if you were on that level to appreciate it he gave us this system so that the greatness the goodness the um, that special refinement of spirit that the Barditchever and the people of Barditchever represented. Could be captured in a book, and could then be used as a text for spiritual growth, for godliness, introduced and developed, even to children, even at a young at a young age, working from the mind to the heart, rather than the other way around. The Barditchever and the Alterdeben, Rabbi Schneur Zalman, were eventually related to each other, became family when their children or grandchildren uh, married. And um, when the Alta wrote his Tanya, the first uh, manuscript before he published it was sent to the Bardichevar for his approval and for his opinion. So there was a very close relationship there and uh, many stories enlightening stories, inspiring stories are told about the differences or the similarities between these two great sages. Partner with Rabbi Friedman. Visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support.